0: So go ahead and take your seats. I'll invite you to open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 19, the gospel of Luke. Well, um, I just love it when things go better than hope, don't you? I was talking to Pastor Ian this morning uh, via text message, and I asked him, so tell me, like, how did it go? And and he said, it went exceedingly above what we thought. It went better than we'd hoped, both uh, him and and Pastor Yosef, so... I just hope you are encouraged by that video as as I was. You know, God doesn't have to include us in something like this. We get the privilege and the joy of of lifting up uh, these brothers and sisters and and even the unbelievers in Yash asking God to do a mighty work. We get the privilege and the joy of of sending over some of what God has blessed us with and resources to help them get off the ground. And uh, it's just such a wonderful joy to see what God is doing there. And... um, I just hope you rejoice in that as well. Speaking of things going better than hoped, uh, last weekend's time with Dr. Don Whitney, I I just had uh, such a a blessed and encouraged time. I I had read uh, Dr. Whitney's books. I had seen what he was going to speak on in the conference, and yet I had to tell him uh, this went even better than I had expected, better than I had hoped. I was just so built up and edified by his teaching, as I, I trust you were as well. And I know not all of you were able to be there Uh, for the conference on Friday and Saturday, but most of you are here on Sunday morning uh, when he spoke to us just last week about our yearning for heaven, our our hope of of being with our Holy King, Jesus Christ. And um, he he touched on a few um, things last week, a few maybe yearnings of our heart to do with heaven that weren't weren't to be the central focus, things if you remember like rest and, and relief and reunion, these, these things that are part of the heavenly experience, but, but not, by any stretch, the best part or the most central part. And, and there's another um, R word that can be included in that group that he didn't touch on. And, and I didn't ask him why, but I suspect probably because it warrants an entire sermon's worth of explanation. And that's the idea of heavenly rewards. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to um, look at what it means to be thinking biblically about rewards. In 1961, a businessman by the name of Ray Kroc made a relatively small investment in a burger chain, a, a burger joint that um, was doing uh, successful, it, it was going well, there, there was lots of um, customers, people enjoying uh, the product, P- families, you know, kids, something for everyone, and so he thought, you know what, this would be a good investment for me. And so he put some of his money there, and lo and behold, things went better for him, probably I would, I would guess, than he had hoped. In 1984, at the time of his passing, his small investment had grown to become $500 million in net worth. We know this burger chain today as McDonald's. Well, did you know that Jesus calls each and every one of us to be an investor. This morning we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told and uh, only to see what he has in mind is so much better than dollar signs followed by zeros. Parables by nature are um, simple stories, scenarios often from everyday life And Jesus was a master at telling these stories, at at taking what was familiar to his audience and and making understandable a deeply profound truth. That is for those who were willing to hear. For those who weren't willing to hear, these parables just remained a a simple story that really had no underlying meaning. And, And for those who weren't willing to hear the mystery of the profound truth Uh, remained yet hidden. This morning we're going to look at the parable of the ten minas. And we're going to read this um, fairly straightforward little scenario here, this story that Jesus made up to illustrate a point, many points I would would suggest. And before we read it, I I just want to draw your attention to the timing of when he told this parable. You can see in um, chapter 19, that Jesus is entering Jericho in verse one. And Jericho is the last stop before Jerusalem. This is Jesus' last journey before what we know was going to happen to him in the final week of his time here on earth. And he has this encounter with Zacchaeus, the tax collector who went up in the tree, and, and if we just skip down to verse nine after Jesus Calls Zacchaeus down and says, I need to eat at your house today. And we see that Zacchaeus repents of his sin and Jesus says to him in verse nine, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And he says this as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem for the final time. Let's look now at verse 11 and read this parable. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus." And said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Parable with deep, profound truths from which we have much to learn this morning. The king is away for a time, and what we do while he is gone has a massive impact on what happens when we see him. Jesus has to tell us this morning, while I'm gone, remember first you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. They're approaching Jerusalem and and Jesus' disciples think that his coronation is about to take place. See, they didn't know what we know today and and what we take for granted that there is a gap between Jesus' first coming And his return as king to rule and to reign on this earth. And so he has to tell them, there is going to be a time when I am not here with you. And this time is going to be delayed and extended. And you don't know when I'm coming back, but you need to be ready. And while I'm gone, you need to be working for me. We see in this parable a nobleman. And and that, of course, is none other than Jesus Christ. We see that he has gone away into a far country. This represents a time lapse. We, we see servants. The servants in this parable represent followers of Jesus Christ, those who have placed their faith in him. We see that Jesus has given them minas, and, and minas are um, units of monetary measure. They are uh, equal to about 100 days' wages, about three months' wages. And while this is money in this story, what this is meant to represent for us is spiritual opportunities. The responsibilities that Jesus has given to each and every one of us. The gifting, the the privileges that he has entrusted to his followers to put to good use. And he tells them, engage in business. Engage in business. And surely, um, ultimately, Jesus is not interested in financial gain, what he is interested in is faithfulness. Be faithful, he says. Be faithful to put to use what I have entrusted to you. You are a steward who are serving on behalf of the king. Faithfulness is one of those words that um, is really best defined by bringing other words in, maybe some synonyms, maybe some other helpful ways for us to think what does faithfulness mean if we're called to be faithful we better have a good understanding of what what we mean by faithfulness what jesus means by faithfulness and so here are some accompanying words to help us understand this steadfastness steadfastness along with the idea of being faithful is the idea of persevering being steadfast not giving up keep on keeping on Unwavering commitment. When you think of faithfulness, think of unwavering commitment. Think of persistent obedience. To be faithful is to be persistent in our obedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To be faithful is to act in conformity to the revealed word of God in every area of one's life. to act in conformity to the revealed word of God in every area of one's life. And so through this parable, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us this morning, you have a choice to make. Will you be faithful? Will you heed his instruction to engage in in business, in spiritual business until he comes? The king has left for a time. But there is coming a day when we will see him again, and and the question is, until that day, will you be faithful with what he has entrusted to you? Will you be faithful in your use of the time that he's given to you? Will you be faithful in the use of the possessions that he has entrusted to you? Will you be faithful with your energy, with your speech, with your prayer life? Will you you be faithful to have increasing measures of lining these things up with the word of God in all areas of your life? In your personal spiritual health? With your family and, and with your friends? Will you be faithful with your work or your school? Will you be faithful in the ministry of serving the church that you are a member of? We all have choices to make. We all have choices to make in all of these areas. Will I put to good use that which Jesus has entrusted to me? And we make this choice With the future in view, knowing this, secondly, that you have an account to give. You have an account to give. That comes through loud and clear in this story that Jesus tells. There is a day coming when we will give an account of how we have put to use that which God has given to us. Verse 15 says, when he returned, having received the kingdom he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. most of you have been to Harvest 101 and you might remember that in Harvest 101 we remind you that the most significant event in your future is not the things of this life. It's not your upcoming wedding. It's not that upcoming milestone anniversary or birthday it's, it's not graduation. It's, it's not when you may have children. It's not when you may be promoted at work or when you might have that vacation you've just been waiting for or even more so that retirement. The things of this life that we so um, look forward to are far surpassed by that day when we will stand before the Lord to give an account for how we've lived for Him on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and in the context of that passage, the we is believers. And just like those servants in this parable had to come and stand before the king, we too must appear before the king and everything that we've ever said, everything we've ever thought, everything we've ever done, will be fully known to him. And uh, this is a message where I'm going to have to make sure I'm very clear to make qualifications and, and be specific with what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. And so here's one of those times we're not talking about sin here. Every last sin that we as believers in Jesus Christ, if that's you this morning, have ever committed, has been nailed to the cross, and dealt with once for all by Jesus Christ. So when we stand in judgment before him, it will not be to be, to be judged for our sins, okay? Not all judgment in the Bible is alike. And sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we, when we see judgment, we, we start to think all of a sudden about, okay, eternal judgment. Place Okay, judgment unto eternal damnation, judgment unto everlasting life in heaven. But that's, that is a judgment in Scripture, but that's not the only judgment. There is a judgment when we will stand before the Lord to talk about how we have stewarded that which he has entrusted to us. The judgment seat is called the bema seat, the bema seat. That is taken from the Greek word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and the bema seat, if you think with me of... of a podium, maybe similar to this one, that you have to step up onto. This was the, um, the word used for that podium in the athletic arena. When at the end of the race, those who have placed maybe first, second, third, like in our modern day Olympics, will come and ascend the podium to receive the prize. The reward for that which they have just won. The servants in this parable find out that they will have to step onto this platform and be judged by the king. And they will stand before him to give an account. You know, we're, we're going to be evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in school or if you've been in school or maybe even in the workplace, you, you might think of uh, that professor or that teacher or that boss to whom you need to hand something in, a work that they've asked you to do and they want to see you know, what you've come up with, they want to maybe test uh, what you've learned. If, if you're like me, you're very much concerned with how, how does that professor uh, grade, how does he think, right? Or, or how does that bo- what does that boss most appreciate? And then we, we work accordingly, don't we? we? We get to work, we get busy doing that which we know will be seen in good light from the superior to whom we are responsible. That's what Jesus is teaching here. That's what Jesus is saying needs to be our mindset. What will please the King of kings and the Lord of lords today in my life? because I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about May Fourteenth, 2017, and I'm going to give an account. Are you ready to talk to Jesus? Are you ready to stand before him to give an account of how you have stewarded that which he has entrusted to you? How can I be faithful? How can I be faithful? Well, let's just think of the greatest commandment. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love one another as you love yourself. Maybe that could be our grid, our lens through which we ask ourselves, how can I please my master today? Knowing that, an account, must be given. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to show you a passage that is very, very important to our discussion on rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. And um, when you get there, maybe just mark it because we're going to come back to it a bit later as well. But I just want to read a few verses here beginning in verse 10. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. You see that? That's the day of account. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Keep your finger there. We'll come back to it. But we, we see there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that, that the Apostle Paul Continuing on from Jesus' teaching is showing that there is coming a day when we will stand before him and and our life will be evaluated. Paul goes on to say in chapter 4 of that letter, verse 5, he says, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And he says these words, then each one will receive his commendation from God. So we will stand before him to give an account of whether we have been faithful or not. And when we give that account and Jesus evaluates our life, he will then give to us his commendation. Back to our parable, what we see next, Jesus saying is this, while I'm gone, remember, you have a reward to receive, you have a reward to receive. Jesus comes back, he wants to know what's gone on while he was away, and it says in verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And Jesus said to him, well done, good servant, don't we long to hear those words. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. See, God not only sees, he also commends faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. We see this across the pages of Scripture. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns to earth, the 24 elders that are surrounding the throne worshiping God, they cry out saying, it's time for rewarding your servants. Earlier on in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus tells those who are faithful to be merciful in this life. He says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, Jesus says that those who are persecuted for following Jesus Christ, for being faithful to him in this life, he says rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. We see in this parable, same thing we, we see in other places in scripture that the reward that Jesus is going to give to his faithful servants is entirely disproportionate to our degree of faithfulness. It's amazing. I mean, a mina could scarcely purchase a barn and yet one mina for every mina given is 10 cities. It's astounding. A 100 days wages of faithfulness. And Jesus says, here, for every mina you will have authority to reign and rule over 10 cities. What grace. What, what an awesome, generous king we serve. Amen? Amen. Well, this is where we're going to spend most of our time on this point, just really trying to dig in and see what does the Scriptures have to teach about eternal rewards. And I want to do so by just asking a number of questions to help us think biblically about rewards. And so the first question I want to ask is this. If the reward... Actually, let's back up. Is heaven the reward? That's that's a good question to ask. Is going to heaven to be with Jesus the reward that's being talked about here? And I'm just going to tell you that the answer is no. It's, It's not. And that may be surprising to some of you, so bear with me. But heaven... Being in heaven with Jesus isn't the reward that's being talked about here. And it's important to remember that while well, faithfulness here on this earth gives evidence that the that the professing, the one who says I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, ought to what? Show with his works that this is so. So faithfulness here on this earth demonstrates and gives evidence that a follower of Christ is truly so. But listen, that's doesn't equate to what we're reading about here this morning with rewards. Jesus doesn't just say, oh, oh you've been faithful, so here, enter into the joy of your master. No, he, he has a reward, a different reward than that, that he's given. And I said we would go back to 1 Corinthians 3, so let's do that. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's Look at the rest of what Paul is saying. He's he's talking about what has been built on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's gold, other times it's silver, precious stones. But then there's also wood, hay, and straw. In verse 13, we read that each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Look at verse 14 now. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. what is this saying? Well, this, this is saying that it is possible for someone to not demonstrate a degree of faithfulness in this life that is um, going to receive any eternal rewards, and yet they're still a Christian. They're still saved, Paul says. They still make it into heaven. They've just forfeited eternal rewards. Right? The, 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 the gold, the silver, the precious stones, they don't burn away. But if all we have to offer the king is wood, hay, and, and straw, those will burn away. They, they are, are useless to the king. So we see in this that, that heaven is not the reward because these rewards can, can increase or decrease in measure. That's, that's what Jesus is showing in this parable. Not all faithful servants receive the same reward. And not all servants are faithful. All right, so if heaven is not the reward, what is it? The reward is not heaven. This is the next question we want to look at. What is the reward? And it's this. It's the specific reward that each believer receives according to what he or she has done. Specific reward that each believer receives according to what he or she has done. And again, I just ask you to bear with me as this may be, Um, different from what you've been thinking about rewards thus far, but I I hope uh, um, the scriptures here are, are showing you maybe learning to think a little bit differently will align your thinking about rewards more with the word of God. So we're not talking about salvation when we talk about these specific rewards. These rewards are different from being in heaven. Being in heaven is a free gift, right? Could never be earned. It's it's based only on what Jesus Christ has done for those who have placed their faith in him. That, That is heaven. Right, could never be earned. It's not a reward for our faithfulness. All of our good works combined could never ever achieve for us everlasting presence with Jesus Christ in heaven. He had to accomplish that for us. Our sins were too great We were rebellious. All of our righteous deeds were like filthy rags in his sight when we tried to to use those to justify why we should gain a spot in his eternal presence. And he said, no, I, I have to come and save you. I have to send my son to pay the penalty for your sin. That's the only way you will ever, ever be able to be right in my eyes and be able to enter into my presence for all eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 we looked at earlier we looked at the first half of that verse for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ listen to how that verse ends so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil is is going to heaven is salvation something we receive that is due for what we've done? No, of course not. Of course not. So some other type of reward must be in view here. And, and Paul says whether good or evil, but that, that word evil, it's important to know That that's not talking about moral evil. It's a different word that's used. So again, we're not talking about sin. What we're talking about is usefulness versus that which is not useful. And God is going to, uh, reward us in Christ, through Christ, according to everything that we have done in this body. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will, what? Repay each person according to what he has done. We see these verses in New Light, don't we? When we think of rewards in this way, Ephesians 6, verse 8, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Randy Elkhorn, who's written much about stewardship and, and um, heaven, hev- the, the realities of heaven, he has this to say. He says, salvation is about God's work on behalf of humanity. Conversely, rewards are a matter of our work God. And then he he clarifies, all right, our work for God, saying we could never do anything for God apart from his help within us. Okay, everybody heard me say that? Apart from him, we can do nothing. All right, but as his strength works mightily within us, we too, what? Labor and strive for him. That's what the scriptures teach. It is a mysterious collaboration. When we seek to faithfully serve our king, we do so by his power and strength within us, but we do so, right? We do so. All right, so conversely, not like salvation, which is what God does to work on behalf of us, rewards are a matter of our work by God's help for God. When it comes to salvation, our work for God is no substitute for God's work for us. We could never do what only God could do when it comes to salvation. Likewise, when it comes to rewards, God's work for humanity is no substitute for our work for God. God rewards us for our work, not Christ. So we don't anticipate that day when we will stand before the Lord to to be judged according to our faithfulness and think that we're going to be rewarded based on what Christ did. God's going to look at our life. That's what Jesus is teaching in this parable. You stand before me. What did you do? You stand before me. What did you do? And then the rewards are given accordingly. We said that it was disproportionate. And in one sense it is, right? It's disproportionate. The reward is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And yet in another sense, the rewards are proportionate to our degree of faithfulness, and we're gonna to get to that in a minute. What do, what do these rewards look like? Well, in, in many senses, it is a mystery yet to be revealed when we get there one day. But scripture talks often about eternal positions, eternal possessions, and eternal pleasures. And what we see here, when, when we see that there are varying rewards for varying degrees of faithfulness, is that God must give to all who enter heaven varying capacities in heaven. Right? We're, we're all, if we're going to have him by God's grace through faith in Christ, are going to experience fullness of joy. But, but maybe think of it like this. Not everybody's cup is going to be the same size. Everybody's cup's going to be full, but, but one may have a bigger cup than another. So, so the next question maybe you're asking me is, so, so are you saying believers will not all receive the same rewards? I'm going to draw on another quote here from Randy Elkhorn because truly, um, in in my experience, uh, both in pastoral ministry and before that, um, I have the same recollection in talking to many people that there is great confusion over this area of, of rewards and what does Scripture truly teach about how we receive rewards for all eternity. And so, listen, Randy Alcorn says this. He says, Scripture does not teach what most of us seem to assume that heaven will transform each of us into equal beings with equal possessions and equal responsibilities and equal capacities. Scripture does not say that our previous lives will be of no eternal significance, it says exactly the opposite. In other words, faithfulness really matters. servant who took the one mina and came back before his master and said, here, ten minas more was given ten cities. And the one who, who gave to the Lord five minas, the Lord gave five cities. We must understand, this is very important, that there are varying degrees of reward. Not everyone is the same, and this is not to make us think that there's going to be any envy or bitterness or sinful comparison going on in heaven, right? There's none of that. And, and I think that it is um, impossible for us in our finite minds to, to really fully grasp and understand what that can be like, to, to not envy or, or, or want what others have in heaven, but it's not going to be like that. We have to hold these truths in tension, but we need to know that everything just doesn't come out in the wash. Faithfulness matters when it comes to rewards. Now you might be asking, is it really okay to be motivated by future sorry, future personal eternal rewards? It's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> is it really okay to be motivated by future personal eternal rewards? Like is, is that, isn't that um, selfish? Aren't I seeking my own glory you might be thinking so you're asking me are are you saying i can desire greater rewards in heaven well i'm not saying that jesus is saying that jesus is saying that rewards are his idea in matthew chapter 6 jesus says these words He's, you're going to remember them lay up for yourselves treasures In heaven what else can that mean other than work here and now in this life with an eye on the future so that you will have treasure there first Timothy 6 verses 18 and 19 Paul tells those who are rich in this world he says don't love your money do what is good be rich in good works Be generous, be ready to share. Store up for yourself treasures because they are a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Motivation for rewards, listen, is not in conflict with other scriptural motivations for doing good. That's probably um, the biggest thing to help understand what we're talking about this morning. These Motivations are not in conflict with our yearning to be with Christ in heaven. Right? We, we just want our experience with him in heaven to be all that it can be. We, we want to please God by being faithful in this body. We serve our king to glorify him. And yet this is not in competition with also wanting the greatest rewards that we can obtain when we stand before him. For judgment. We serve him out of thankfulness. We serve him because we, we know, proverbially speaking, that when we do good in this life, that generally speaking, we will experience blessing here and now. We serve Jesus because we want to be like Jesus, and yet, again, this is not in competition it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. We don't have to create a false dichotomy and say that we can't at the same time desire treasures in heaven. So how does this change my life? Really, that's, that's what this comes down to, right? How does this change my life? If this is what the scriptures teach about eternal rewards, what does this mean for me? That is the question of the hour. John Bunyan said said this, he said, consider this to provoke you to good works that you shall have from God when you come to glory a reward for everything you do for him on this earth. Our eternal experiences are being forged in the crucible of this life. And what we do here and now will significantly affect our there and then if we really understand this, won't we live differently? Won't we pursue faithfulness with greater and greater zeal? If we know that every moment matters, every choice will have an impact on our eternal rewards, doesn't that help fight against complacency and laziness in the Christian life? How I live my life now affects how I will spend eternity with Jesus Let the weight of that uh, sit with you and and go with you this morning. I read this week the story of Alfred Nobel. And some of you may uh, know this account, but this is uh, the man for whom the Nobel Peace Prize and the other Nobel Prizes are named. And um, one day, Alfred's brother died. And the newspaper mistakenly published... Instead, Alfred's obituary, all right, so they they gave an account of his life, and he was a scientist who had developed um, explosives that were used in war, resulting in the deaths of many, many people. So as he read his own obituary for his life, and he saw that this is what he had accomplished, a great sorrow came over him. And he was determined that day to rewrite his obituary and to go forward from that day on making a difference not for for destruction in this world but for peace. And that's how we came to have the Nobel Prize for Peace. You have the opportunity while you're here alive today to continue to rewrite the story of your life, to continue writing what faithfulness is going to look like for when you give an account and are rewarded before the king? Well, what about the unfaithful servant? I mean, we're looking at this parable and no doubt um, you're thinking of uh, verse 20 where it says, Another came and, and said, Lord, here's your mina, mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minus. Jesus responds saying, or the king responds saying, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what about this servant? No reward. No demonstrated faithfulness. And really, we have two options. One, he could be the First Corinthians three man, whose works, when evaluated, turned out to just burn up because there was nothing really there, and so he um, is saved, but only through fire, with no rewards. And this is a, this is a, a very um, viable possibility because. Um, in verse 27, there's a contrast, there's a but, and we're going to see that in a second, and, and the, this servant's not included there. So maybe, maybe this servant just enters into heaven, but with no eternal rewards. Uh, uh, another equal possibility is that this servant isn't a true servant at all. Uh, maybe he's an imposter. Maybe he walked the same roads with Jesus' uh, disciples, with Jesus' followers, and and so um, Jesus entrusted something to him, and, and yet in the end, it proved through his actions that he he really wasn't a follower of the king at all. He was careless, he was lazy, he was thoughtless, he had no desire to honor and please the king. He didn't really care about anybody but himself. Furthermore, he cast blame and accusation on the king, making up lies about him, assuming that he's an exacting taskmaster, which we see in this story that he's so far from that. And maybe Jesus doesn't tell us in this parable where his eternal destiny lies and, and maybe he proves himself to be someone who didn't want Jesus to reign over him after all. I don't know which it is, but one thing I do know is either way, I don't want to be this servant. I don't want to be this servant. I, I don't want to... Um, be seen to not be faithful to the king at all and I don't want to be seen uh, to be self-deceived thinking I was a servant when I'm not. And I don't want to re- receive no rewards when I enter into his presence. This is a sad reality this man took what Jesus had given him and, and hid it away and did nothing with it. May that not be true of any of us. Well, finally, we come to verse 27, and we come full circle back to this point again you have a choice to make. That's what Jesus is saying to his audience here. You have a choice to make, he says in verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine, these are not the servants that he gave the minas to, these are the verse uh, 14 people who do not want this man to reign over them. He says, as for these who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. It doesn't have to be this way if these Enemies would repent and turn to the king, confess their sin, bow down and acknowledge him, stop resisting his rightful rule over their lives, there would be forgiveness. But here's the choice that each and every enemy of the king needs to make. Will you bow down before the king? Will you bow down before the king? John chapter 3. Jesus says these words in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. you may be here this morning and you've not bowed down to this king. In this story, you would be counted as an enemy. And Jesus wants to tell you through his word this morning that far from rewards and thinking about the quote-unquote good acts that you do in this life, receiving from him an eternal reward, you cannot expect to even enter into this eternity. You have, you have nothing in the way of judgment but eternal judgment. Judgment unto everlasting death apart from God. That's our greatest burden in this life, that there are people who are going to hell to pay for their sins because they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Bow the knee to him if that's you this morning. Jesus is coming back. The books will be opened. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he or she will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is a grave reality. One writer said this. He said, as our culture grows more independent from God, Many claim that they are not his subjects, or they try to create God in their own image and form him in a frame of their expectations. They argue that each person's destiny is his or her own business. It's not true. We are not the standard by which life is measured, we are accountable to God. Our lives last a short span in this world, and that visit is subject to examination by one who is the source of life and breath. you will strike down his enemies. A king went away into a far land to receive his kingdom and come back. And he left his servants with a job to do, with a task to be faithful until he returns. And he came back and he called them before him to give an account, to hear what they had done with what he entrusted to them while he was away. And to those who had trusted in him and to those who had faithfully served him, he rewarded greatly. To those who turned their backs on him and would not be subject to his rule, he disciplined greatly. Brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning what is your investment strategy? Will you be faithful to serve Him in light of His promised rewards?